0: Welcome to School of Movies. (laughs) Die hard with a vengeance and live free or die hard. This is Die Hard with a Vengeance. We're back with the third of four Die Hard movie reviews. With me once again is Neil Taylor of Game Burst. Hello, Neil.
1: yippee And
0: Matt Ramsey, better known on the DC forums as Matt Harrier. Hello again, Matt. Good evening. Our sincerest apologies for the rambling nature of the review last week, but considering the source material, you're lucky it wasn't two minutes long. Uh, How would we currently place them in order of personal favoritism? Because obviously, you know, there's still room for Matt to prefer four to any of the above no there isn't no there isn't there really isn't (laughs) that's stretching it you might like it more than two you might it's feasible I know a lot of people who did
1: I think I'd go die hard Mm. die hard with a vengeance yep two and the fourth one is dead to me
0: (laughs) I'm gonna go ahead and say three and one are pretty much equal for me but I would maybe just put three above one and then
1: two and then four I can see that with vengeance I really can
0: Yeah, I've got some reasons I'll be going into soon. Matt? Uh, One, three, two at this stage. Fair enough. This is the only Die Hard film based on an original screenplay. The first two films were adapted from novels, and Live Free or Die Hard was adapted from a magazine article. That's the state we're in today, isn't it? (laughs) People don't read books anymore. (laughs) It was written solely by Jonathan Hensley and was originally titled Simon Says. He then adapted that script into the third Die Hard film. Unfortunately, while in the grand scheme of Hollywood scriptwriters who ever get their break, Hensley's career has been pretty prolific. He's never matched Die Hard 3, and he did, however, write Armageddon, the original draft for The Saint, which ended up heavily rewritten. Uh, The Saint, by the way, has always been my dictionary definition of average. If you took every film that was ever made, it sits exactly in the middle of them. There's a, a billion crap films and a billion... Films that are average or better, but this is the exact. It is equidistant from either extreme.
1: So the Saint Six nets to Die Hard Two, then? Uh,
0: no, but Die Hard Two is way better than the Saint. I mean, it's you, you've got to have to understand about how how what how bad bad films are. I mean, we don't usually watch them because usually you tend to t- sort of turn off films that you think are bad. But if you've ever yeah, had hang one, on, hang on, Will sit we talk about through bad films, film? are films we that are talk- really like flesh crawlingly
1: bad. Oh, uh, we're talking Starship Troopers too bad, not sort God, of tre- bad. That. Oh, well, do you mean Tremors bad? Tremors bad in that sort of cheesy B movie kind. We're of doing it again. <laughs> 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 I'm just clarifying my point. <laughs> tremors is way above <laughs> average. Tremors is great. Well, yeah, Tremors and, was a bad choice. Yeah. Maybe yeah, for Tremors... You.
2: And then if you're going to use a Starship Troopers film as an example of a bad film, you've got to use Starship Troopers 3. It's even worse than 2. It's Uh, appalling.
1: Wow, that takes (laughs) nothing to recommend it at all. Okay, tell
0: you what, I was watching, and this is actually, this falls in with Gonzo, actually. I was watching Batman the movie the other day, the Adam West one. I couldn't (laughs) get through it. I couldn't. It's appalling. appalling. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's kind of charming for a bit, but to actually sit through 90 minutes of that stuff... It begins to wear you down. around right about the halfway mark, I, I've just got to turn it off. I will resume that at, as and when we talk about the Burton Batmans, but I don't think we can do an episode entirely around that, that show. That film can, is about, fucking I, horrible. Can I, you,
1: you can I ask you, did you get to the shark repellent? Well, of
0: course I got to the shark repellent. That's in the first three minutes. But, I
1: remember. I never want to see that movie again.
0: Oh, God. Okay, right. So, yeah, The Saint, absolutely in the middle. Uh, I also wrote Jumanji. But he also wrote Next and Welcome to the Jungle. No, not that one. The bad one. Many of the young Indiana Jones chronicles, which I think, Neil, you know a lot more about than me.
1: I've seen a few of them. Some of them are quite good.
0: And he also wrote the bland, Travolta-centric 2004 version of The Punisher. So, yeah, it didn't exactly set the world on fire. But like I said, in in terms of Hollywood scriptwriters, 99% of them don't ever get a break. And he's had huge amounts of breaks. So, uh... Yeah, I mean and and also uh, I rate Die Hard with a Vengeance in terms of scripting. So, uh, yeah, a, a lot actually.
1: There's some really truly good moments in that script. There's some fantastic stuff, but um there's a, also a few moments we go really <laughs>
0: okay, we'll get to the really bits in a bit. Um I would go so far as to say this is almost the equal of the original. The first is better made and a more focused film. But in the same way that I kind of prefer Aliens to Alien, only the breadth of a shadow exists between the two in terms of which one's my favourite, and it comes down to which one I'd like to put on more often. Plus, Die Hard 1 is usually a Christmas tradition, and 3 has no such restrictions. This has now become a very rare type of film due to the subject matter. Manhattan is in jeopardy. There are explosives going off all around. Even the children are apparently not safe. The emergency services have their hands full and the financial district turns out to be the real target. You could not make a movie like this today. As Die Hard 4 proved so aptly, explosions and New York are not a cocktail any studio will taste, and it's going to be a long time before anybody mixes one of these films again.
1: Yeah, I don't. I think it's going to be a very long time before we see anything that does or replicates what Die Hard with Avengers does, where you have a madman bombing a city, Hmm.
0: specifically Uh, New York. New York, especially. Yeah, and the two towers do actually feature quite prominently in this as well. They're not. They're not key uh, locations, but they're there in the background.
3: Summer in the city, back of my neck getting dirty. Bend down, isn't it a pity? Doesn't seem to be a shadow in the city. All around, people looking half dead or walking on the sidewalk harder than a match yeah. here. But tonight it's a different world. Go out and find a girl. Come on, come on and dance all night. by the heat, it'll be alright. Don't you know it's a pity the days can't be like the nights in the summer, in the city, in the summer, in the city.
0: So let's look at what they did to bring it back to glory from the mundane formulaic Die Hard 2. Firstly, John McTiernan returned and he brought with him a greater understanding of McClane's character and the situations to place him in to get the most out of this guy. McClane starts off the film in a groggy, stupor, depressed and resentful, and baffled as to his involvement. It's the first Die Hard to become a buddy movie, with the follow-up unsuccessfully trying to follow in those lines. Zeus is an ideal foil for John. He's just as argumentative, yet despite his surly nature, he's a man of principle who helps because it's clear that that's the right thing to do. They bitch at one another constantly, always believing they know better than the other about their given situations and there is indeed a tinge of racism from Zeus whatever kind of hard life he's lived he doesn't trust or want any help from a white man yet his first act is to prevent a serious interracial altercation between John and the angry residents of Harlem he then has to endure the fallout of his decision not to turn a blind eye summing up the phrase no good deed goes unpunished fairly perfectly And for the first and only time, John is not surrounded by law officers who consider him to be a nuisance. John is on home turf at last. This is his team, and while they heap disapproval on him for his depression-fuelled, self-destructive lifestyle, there's a familiarity and warmth among them, evident in the quieter scenes. These people do respect John as a detective and listen to what he has to say. It's a refreshing change from the almost pathological unwillingness to cooperate from the LAPD in Die Hard 1 and the Dulles Airport security in Die Hard 2 and whoever the fuck was in charge in Die Hard 4. Discuss. (laughs) Well,
1: no, it's clear. I mean, the clearest scene of that is... um when john's in the police van on the way to harlem and just the conversations that are going on these normal almost normal mundane conversations you've mm. got the captain asking how holly is you have been joking with the uh, one of the guys about his lottery numbers and his mm. badge number which mm. actually plays places, into yeah. a scene later so and you, you know you get the disrespect you know the one cop that doesn't you get the feeling doesn't particularly like john as well mm. You actually feel that, you know what, these guys have worked together. These guys know each other. Yeah.
0: Whereas in the other uh, the other films, it's basically just sort of John comes in, tells them what's going on, no one listens to him. Even in Die Hard 2, it's actually annoying how much they don't listen to him. It's like he's, he's, he's telling them, okay, right, this is the situation, these are my theories on it. And they're like, get the fuck out of this room, John, you're just a menace.
1: It's like, what? <laughs> Even no, when I'm he's like- right, they won't listen to him. And, you know, I didn't mention this last week because it didn't occur to me, but it's occurred to me now. What the hell was John doing in Washington, D.C.? Uh,
0: his, Holly's parents live in Washington, D.C. John went out to Washington to bring in the kids with him, and Holly was coming out the day uh, day afterwards. Both of them were living in L.A. LA at the time. Holly was coming out a day afterwards uh, on the plane, and obviously that happened.
1: Okay, okay, fair enough. And also, I love the fact because they just do not mention Die Hard 2 in the, in with a vengeance at all. It's no references.
0: They mention the Nakatomi incident, but no one ever mentions all that shit that went on in uh, Washington. Which, I wonder if they would mention it again in... I I haven't seen it for a long, long time, but in Die Hard 4 it takes place in Washington. So you'd imagine they'd be like, you've done the city a great service, Mr. McLean, but would you fuck off out of this office?
1: Yeah, in fact, they don't make a reference to any of the other Die Hards in Of
0: course they don't. Which makes me feel like Well, we'll talk about this next week, but it's like watching an action film where they've cut and pasted the name John McClane over the name of the hero.
1: Yeah. It
0: was Agent Michael Scarn, originally. There is a palpable tension in the first half of the film for several reasons. Firstly, you start with an unexpected explosion, which happens in the middle of a song. That's an action that breaks up all kinds of movie protocols. Far more often, you get a huge musical build-up, a half-second pause, and then the explosion, so that everyone can brace themselves, and the effects money is well spent on something everyone's going to pay attention to. Secondly, it hits the ground running with a now ongoing situation that we and the police only know minimal details about. This mystery is sustained expertly as Simon finds increasingly smaller flaming hoops for McLean to jump through. In Die Hard 1 we see the professional villains do their thing. In Die Hard 2, it seems a little more clichéd, with henchmen brutally murdering innocent civilians with smug one-liners. Remember that bit in The Church, where he's like, it feels like part of me is dying with this place, and they go, yeah, you're right about that, and then shoot him point-blank with arcing ropes of gore flying in all directions, and he falls slow-motion into the pews.
1: And also, if you note in Die Hard, this particular Die Hard with Avengers, there is no gore.
0: Yeah, well, very little,
1: um well there's blood but there's not what you'd call gore
0: depends on the version you've seen we'll talk about that in a bit In Die Hard 3, you have no idea what's going on to begin with. You're just stuck with McLean, trying to simply live through each situation. That goes away as soon as you realise it's a robbery, and the second half of the movie becomes more of a retelling of Die Hard outside the confines of the building. It does manage to recapture the claustrophobia once they hit the boat. John becomes desperate, battered, wounded, and covered in filth and blood, limping and doing that thing where he stares wildly, moving frantically through the corridors to prevent calamity once again in a way that he never quite did in Die Hard 2. You know, he's got that mad look on his face just after he's dispatched Targo. (laughs) Michael Kamen, back for one last time, even starts to riff on themes from the original, even using the moment that Hans falls from the tower to the point when the bomb appears on the boat. So, yeah, it's definitely a film with two halves, and the first half is better. But the second is still taut, funny, pacey, and far more like Die Hard than the other two.
1: No, I'd agree with that, and... It's, it, it does. T- it does feel like a bit of a movie in two halves. You, you saw there's a slight gear change by mm. halfway through that you you just subtly pick on. It's not a major thing, mm. but it does feel like hmm. I think we've gone away from the, the original script here.
0: Yeah, well, no, th- that is the exact point. Basically, it's it's just after he's been briefed in the uh, 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 van and that he's told that it's a Gruber, and then you get to to meet Gruber for the first time. I believe the original Simon says. Diverged at that point, so it's it's been said that the first half of the movie is pretty much word for word.
1: I do, I do love of that moment where he's briefed, and you go, his other name is you know, whatever, Gruber, and you're like Peter oh, Creed. <laughs> yeah. Peter Creed Gruber, and you just feel like with McLean going, Oh, gosh,
3: oh shit. Yeah. yeah. Open your eyes, surprise. oh my gosh, that? that rap. He's super just like our brains, the holy mo-
0: okay brain teaser time you have a five gallon jug a three gallon jug and one minute to tell me how to get exactly four gallons into these here scales or this podcast will explode go
1: we're fucked because even i well, didn't understand that bit. you had to cooperate
2: on this one gentlemen. fill the five fill the yes, five the three Yep, three. two, refill the five, top up the three, which leaves four in the five, I think. Hang on, say that again? Fill the five, yep. tip into the three, leaving two yes. in the five. Yes, yes. Refill the five, mm-hmm. top up the three, removing one litre, leaving four litres in the five. Poss-
0: possibly. Hang on, no, no, hang on. If you fill the five and then pull that into the three, the three's full, so you then...
1: ...leaving you two Poss- in the yeah. Two in the five.
0: You got um, twenty seconds.
1: I never even understood. Shit not them playing kids games in a the park. <laughs> They're dead. We're dead. I didn't even get this shit in the
3: <laughs> movie. The I just watched jug. it. Pour it
0: to the three gallon jug. Remain the two gallons in the five. Empty the three gallon jug. Pour the two gallons from the five into the empty three. Fill the five gallon jug again. Pour one gallon from the five gallon into the three gallon jug. Remain the four in the five gallon. Boom. <sighs> one second. <laughs>
2: one second. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I kind of missed a bit. I'll on do
0: that. One, that uh, I'll, I'll do that a little bit slower. You fill the five <laughs> gallon jug. You pour it into the three-gallon jug. It remains two gallons in the five. Then you empty the three-gallon jug, so you've got two gallons in the five and nothing in the three. You pour the two gallons from the five into the three, which leaves a space of one there. Then you fill the five-gallon jug again. You pour one of the gallons into the f- into the three-gallon jug, which leaves four remaining in the five
2: because uh, there's one yeah. gallon of
0: space which you need to be able to fill it up exactly
2: it's the rather important stage there isn't it?
0: Or there's another one uh, you fill the three gallon jug you pour it into the five you fill the three again and pour it into the five which leaves one gallon remaining inside the three gallon you empty the five completely you pour the one gallon into the empty five gallon then you fill the three a third time and then empty it into the five again
1: so there's a few ways of doing it yes I'm not sure
0: I'd have been able to do that in the time that they were given originally.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I wouldn't have been able to. <laughs> yeah, I know I wouldn't. <laughs> what clues
0: did John need to work out that the federal bank employees were not who they said they were?
1: Well, one was the badge number.
0: Well, yeah, that's the biggest and most obvious.
1: The other one was he says do- uh, dogs and cats. Right yes. Really? I'm not sure. I didn't
0: there are two more. One of them is excusable. The other one is, is definitely suspicious. Uh, one of the, he After he uh, said that he wanted to use the stairs, he said he uses the lift all the time. A lift is a European expression. We probably wouldn't have noticed it so much, but obviously for John, they'd be like, huh, European. Obviously, he could just be a European employee of the Federal Bank but oh, yeah. the fact that he went with dogs and cats. But just behind him, on his right, the guy looking at John's giving him this really creepy fucking look. Which So all John has to do is look at him to know that something's up. But yeah, of course, the 6991 badge... Is the, is the big one. This is another indicator of how close John is with his workmate. His friend Rick Walsh, like half of the New York cops, plays the lottery with his badge number. John can even remember the number, 6991. The fact that none of these reserve cops are apparently familiar with the custom, and the fact that Otto is wearing Rick's badge, is enough evidence for John to murder all of them in a desperate elevator struggle.
1: Yeah, it's not often so- you see that one, is it? A gunfight in an elevator. Literally. <laughs> in the elevator not one person in an elevator the other people outside (laughs) them all in the same place yeah it's it's
0: it's pretty grim Uh, this is one of the main bits that actually was edited for the uk version when he shoots the last guy who i believe is otto um it's close up point blank and in the unedited american version the spray of gore flies up over uh mclean's face Uh, Okay, I think I
1: have the English version, then.
0: Yeah, I believe you do, um, because I used to have the R1 version. It's completely different. Okay, here's some little factoids. On the DVD commentary, screenwriter Jonathan Hensley says the idea for the film's plot came to him when he imagined what would happen if one of his childhood friends, who was injured after Hensley threw a rock at him, decided to seek revenge on him as an adult. It was also supposed to be Lethal Weapon 4. That would have made a good Lethal Weapon 4. It would have made a better Lethal Weapon 4 than Lethal Weapon 4 was. Yeah. Hensley says that the (laughs) first hour of the film is his original Simon Says script word for word. He only changed the characters and the script so that it would actually feel like part of the Die Hard series. So the protagonist in Hensley's original Simon Says script was a New York cop named Alex Bradshaw. And the character that became Zeus Carver was a woman. Now, here's interesting. The film studio wanted Hensley to change Zeus's race from black to either white or Asian. Racist
1: motherfuckers. (laughs) Why Asian? If white... you got to snare the Asian crowd. Yeah, but you couldn't have had the King of Core then.
0: Well, that, of course, is perfect casting. Do you know who was originally going to be um, uh, Zeus? Lance Fishburne. Yes, well done. And he turned it down. (laughs) And then he changed his mind, but Samuel L. Jackson had already gotten the part.
1: <laughs> you snooze, you lose. <laughs> That's actually quite funny. I, I can't imagine that role as Lawrence Fishburne. Um I don't know, think about him in... Um Boys in the
2: Hood Boys in the Hood yeah. I mean a yeah, very, yeah, very similar character
0: but not as funny jo- no. Lawrence Fishburne is not funny and, and the, this is like the prototype Samuel L. Jackson character apart from maybe Jules in Pulp Fiction this is the shouty angry sweary Great comedy delivery, but also very dramatic and intense Samuel L. Jackson that we all know and love. This is what we wanted to see in Star Wars, frankly. I was about to say the anti-Mace Windu. Yeah, I was was saying, I was watching it, like, Mace Windu doesn't do or say anything. He never even gets angry. He's far too bloody serene to be a Jedi. He would have been better being Lando's dad. Just being this really angry
1: coward. Seriously.
0: Get your fucking ass in here, Lando! Okay,
1: Dad. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, 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 he'd have made a better Sith.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. Either, anything other than just a really boring monk would have been good.
1: Yes. There I'm was- sorry, I, think, I, the, I think the only reason I can't imagine Lawrence Fishburne as Zeus is I've watched too much CSI now. I, yeah. think, <laughs> I, I think Fat Morpheus, as I call him now.
0: Yeah, cake-eating <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, do you know who else is fat at the moment? Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer. <laughs> well noted. <laughs> I I, I, unless that was just a guess, I'm assuming you've been checking my Twitter today. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking through, I don't know how I got to it, but um, oh no, it was to do with The Saint, I think. I just clicked on The Saint and then I clicked on Kilmer and thought, what does he look like now? It Oh, Chunkified doesn't begin to describe what's happened to Val Kilmer. Are
2: you sure that's not him in fancy makeup for a film or something? Check out know.
0: what he looks like on the IMDb. His first Page, he looks like he looks like he's in fat suit makeup. You're absolutely right. Comically he was, fat. He really? used to be hot,
1: and now he's not. <laughs> he's not because he acts like a wardrobe for a start. Yeah, he was the perfect choice to play Kit in the remake of Night Rider. Though. Oh yeah, wooden. Yes, you <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs>
0: wooden Kit, mechanical. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So yeah, he's he's pudgy, and Lawrence Fishburne's put just piled on the pies. I mean, that's fine, but. Um it, it, it does make me, it's, it's, it makes me worry because I feel like I'm reaching middle age myself. I mean, I'm only 30, but I feel like I'm reaching middle age, and if I don't get my ass on a stairmaster, I'm gonna be Val Kilmer. Which, <laughs> used to be something positive. would be like, oh yeah, Joanne Wally, bring it on! <laughs> she looks alright these days, but, uh, he doesn't. There appears to be a disapproval of psychiatrists in the Die Hard films. In the original, a writer claims that the Nakatomi hostages will have begun developing a Stockholm Syndrome, although I I, I believe he calls it Helsinki Syndrome, and let's find out if that's real or not. No, they made it up. (laughs) There's no such thing as Helsinki Syndrome, folks. Either way, it's a Stockholm Syndrome-style bond with their captors, around about the time that Hans shoots Ellis. In this one, Die Hard 3, the psychologist Fred Schiller, who incidentally was named after anyone?
2: Friedrich Schiller.
0: Well done. 18th century Fred Who wrote French Ode poet. to Joy. Who wrote the lyric Ode to Joy. <laughs> <Sorry>. um, deconstructs <laughs> Simon's obsessive stalker in a way that would be pretty bang on the money if Gruber wasn't running a scam on the police. You know, when we were watching this, uh, my wife kept saying, that wouldn't happen. That wouldn't happen. Uh, she, but she works for the police, so she was saying that, you know, there's no way that they'd play Simon's game. They'd, you know, they'd, they'd start wiretaps. I said, they did a wiretap. Well, they, they did do a trace. He, he, he ran rings around them. What would they do then? And she went, I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Probably let innocent civilians get blown up, yeah, I guess. So. Uh,
0: if 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 they just said, no, we're not playing a stupid game, we aren't going to negotiate and slam the phone down, then the, the bomb w- would have gone off. Um, just outside of Wall Street anyway and then the police would have been blamed for that if it had, if it got out because Simon you know was pretty much determined that that bomb was going to go off because the entire plan revolved around that they didn't know that the scene where John McLean wears a sandwich board that says I hate niggers. Was filmed in Washington Heights in order to avoid any conflict or riot in Harlem. Very wise. The street signs in Audubon Avenue between 173rd and 177th Street, along with several store awnings and signs, were replaced to replicate Harlem. Additionally, the sandwich board that Willis wore was I hate everybody. Yes, it was originally blank. The slogan was digitally added to the board during post-production.
1: Nice, safe way of doing it.
0: Yeah, yeah. But if you look at it carefully, it's it's seamless i didn 't even believe they had that kind of digital um, t- up a it rig-
1: is better than the truck surfing later,
0: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. or oh, indeed plane surfing much later. the original uh, let's not talk about that. <laughs> not for a week. The original <laughs> plan was to have the villains burgle, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, an idea not used here but which appears
1: in John McTiernan's film. Did he do the Thomas Crown affair remake? He did. That's a Lucky r- guess, for me. Yeah, indeed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the Russian title for Die Hard in the first three movies, but apparently not the fourth, is a hard nut to crack.
2: A hard nut to crack with a vengeance. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, how do they literally translate with a vengeance? That makes no sense.
2: What was it? A hard nut to crack? Nut harder? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different film. <laughs> you know
0: now would you mean what I say would you understand what I meant if I said that famous this shit just got real shot that Michael Bay has become renowned for uh, was first first used in Bad Boys also appears in this movie released in May 95 one month after
1: Bad Boys was it really a month after Bad Boys? Is Bad Boys that
0: old? April '95. Do you know the the shot I'm talking about? though? you know, it's, it like it starts on his face and it zooms and circles around him. And you know, in Michael Bay, they always stand up.
2: And, they stand up. Usually a bit in with the aspirin bottle.
0: No, it's actually earlier. It's when he goes. It's Christmas. You could steal City Hall, and he's like, "Oh shit, they're gonna steal City Hall." It's pretty much the same shot. Done better. John has a pistol taped to his back under the sandwich board that saves his life in the same way as the pistol taped to his back in the original Die Hard. He also ends up with an old Police Issue 38 special with the same two bullets he saved the day with in Die Hard and manages to dispatch a helicopter with them. Um, there are two men originally uh, cast as Simon. Anybody want to name either of them? No, was Googling. Googling. No, <laughs> Googling. That's cheating.
1: Wasn't me. <laughs> was I one did of them? This. I can't remember. By any chance, would one of them been Alan Rickman mm. as a twin brother? Oh.
0: No, that's not mentioned. But that would have been quite, uh, maybe a bit of a crowbar. We will not be like, all oh, right, right, who would have known that uh, Hans had a twin?
1: Yeah, good point. <laughs> Mind you, uh, brother's not much better.
0: Yeah. It's, well, it, uh, it's a crowbar plot move. But uh, David Thewlis was originally going to play Simon. I think he'd have done a good job. But he's not as magnetic as Jeremy Irons. Uh but Sean Connery was John McTiernan's very first choice for the role of Simon Gruber. He turned down the role saying he didn't want to play such a diabolical villain. He then went on to play the main villain in the utterly diabolical No, don't say it, don't say it. Avengers
1: oh, And we don't mean the D C Comics Avengers, which oh. is cool.
0: The uh the the one with John Steed.
1: Adi <laughs> uh, and, and first movie appearance. Speaking of terrible, terrible,
0: terrible movies, an early script that was rejected involving the villains hijacking a luxury cruise liner was eventually used for Speed Two. Uh... <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: It's the only way that could go with Speed Two.
0: Yep. Yeah. Oh, by the way, um, one of the main reasons I was worried about changing my name to Alex Shaw from Paul Shaw, which I did in two thousand, sorry, in nineteen ninety nine, was that the uh, Jason Patrick's main character in Speed Two is named Alex Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> like, will people remember? No, they won't. <laughs> Said that to me, the line spoken by McLean, smoking cigarettes and watching Captain Kangaroo, is relevant. How?
1: Isn't it some sort of reference to what he says in the first one on the radio too? Nope. Hands? No? Nope. Isn't someone watching Captain Kangaroo in the first one? Nope. It's actually
0: not from Die Hard. It's another film. Oh, no, I've noted it. Cast your mind back, in the, in case of watching Die Hard, about a year, to Pulp Fiction.
3: I keep hearing you're about my happiness. But all that thought you have given me is conscience I guess. I were walking in your shoes, I wouldn't wear in. a... you and our friends or worried
0: about me the... Bruce Willis is driving a car down the street. He's just shot John Travolta and gotten away, he believes, scot-free, uh, after getting hold of his gold watch. And then he sees Marcellus Wallace and runs him over. The song that he's singing along to is... Sucking cigarettes and watching Captain Kangaroo, now don't help me... <laughs> I've nothing to do. Also starring Samuel L. Jackson. Similarly, in the scene where Zeus is trying to get out of going with McLean on the trip across the city, he gets up explaining, I'm not hopping through hoops for some psycho! That's a white man with well, white man's problems! You deal with him! Let me know when he crosses 110th Street. <laughs> the line across 110th Street is a reference to the song of the same name that was played in the Ooh. film Jackie Brown, which also starred Samuel L. Jackson. It's basically where Harlem begins.
1: In okay, I have seen Jackie Brown and I should have known that. Awesome film.
0: In the German version of the first Die Hard movie, the terrorists were changed to a radical Irish terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> and they got out hands because of the dubbing. Producers didn't want to have German terrorists. In the German dubbing of Die Hard 3, however, they decided to adapt the original background after all, and the late terrorist leader is called by his original name, Hans Gruber, which must have confused the fuck out of Germans.
1: Who is this Hans? Why have we never seen this movie? I his name know. was Mickey O'Brien back in the original. <laughs> he dropped that Mickey O'Brien? What, why, why is they showing that Mickey guy? I can't do German anymore, but why is he showing that Mickey <laughs> guy? <laughs> why is he called Hans now? Oh, God. They're fucking with us. Who directed they're this they're movie? They're lying to Marcus? us!
0: Holly may not be in this movie, but her presence is felt by that very absence. John is clearly deeply depressed and lonely. As the only person who could ever put up with him. has been out of his life for a year. He describes their situation as being sort of separated, but notably still wears his wedding ring. I say again, it's a damn shame that the inept writers of Die Hard 4 couldn't include her in some form. The Die Hard series has been available on DVD everywhere for many years, all domestically distributed by Fox. However, outside the US, only Die Hard with a Vengeance was distributed by Buena Vista, Disney's only Die Hard. This led to very few complete box sets and the depressing fact that Die Hard 3 is not available on Blu-ray in the UK, while the other three are, even Die Hard 4. Everywhere else in the world, this is not the case. You can get a German version, you can get an American version, you can get a Dutch version, you can get an Australian version. The American Blu-ray of Die Hard 3 is Region A, so it won't play on standard British BD players like the PS3. The Australian version, however, is Region B, and will. So I need to have a chat with one of our Australian listeners to work out a way to get me one, because I want me Die Hard with a Vengeance. Even if we did get a UK Blu-ray disc, it might still be the edited version released theatrically and on video and DVD over here in order to scrape a 15 certificate. This has several cuts, which we've mentioned already, including the bloody elevator shooting.
1: Surely in this day and age, that would probably still only get you a 15.
0: I think these days it might but but still I mean uh, I I watched uh, Welcome to the Jungle on Blu-ray the other day and the it was actually the American cut so every time he jumps up and does a double kick to the chest of someone they cut unbelievable hmm. so I can't get the UK Blu- Blu-ray disc huh apparently there was a mistake when they got it on there and it's it's a it's a botched DV- uh, Blu-ray release
1: <laughs> that's not good okay I was going to say cuz mean jaws has been reclassified recently yeah it's it's a 12 now what was there before, 15? it before? Fifteen. Was a fifteen? Hmm.
0: My version's still the fifteen one. Well, oh, mine's the twelve. Sorry.
1: If you've got the dual do- double disc box one, it's uh, it's the extras of the fifteen.
0: Oh right, right. The um, original uh, video version of Die Hard Two was a fifteen. I think the original some of the early DVD releases were too, but then they released the un- uncut version in the UK. We'll talk next week about the differences between PG-13 and R-rated releases, because it's very pertinent regarding Die Hard 4.
1: get two, don't buy two, get Die Hard 1, Die Hard with the vengeance, that's all you need, because those two <laughs> feel like... Well, if you watch them back to back, I should imagine they feel like they slot together perfectly. Yeah, yeah. But probably, this is what yeah. happens when you let the right director, mm. and the right sound guy, and everything come back together, and it works.
0: I was a new writer for Die Hard uh, 3, but uh, it, was, it worked
1: still. Yeah, but I think the director probably has a bit more influence over the way things feel Mm. Yes, cause, yeah, because he's the guy that puts the pictures there.
0: Yeah, so. yeah. Ultimately, just everything else was just the words in people's mouths. But uh, it does—it does feel significantly different from the first two films. But um, that's not a bad thing. It feels a bit fresher.
2: Well, I think that's a, a good thing because Die Hard Two was was, as we said, was basically the same thing. It was John in a yeah, you know, everything a cramped yeah, space. I think the best with way of describing one, it is that
0: everything good was from the earlier movie and it didn't do anything yeah. new. Yeah.
2: Whereas with this one, instead of instead of space. You know, a lack of space being, being the, the what provides the tension. It, it's time. They've got all the space of Manhattan, which is a fucking like, huge place. Yeah, and Central Park itself is bloody massive. Mm. But it's time. It's constantly being the chasing after, chasing the hotels, They're constantly trying to keep ahead of, of some trying to get to the next bomb and the next bomb and the next bomb. Yeah. Rather than trying to get out of one small space into another shaft, another Bit of ducting or whatever, yeah. Which, which I think, because it it changes the focus slightly, makes it fresher and rather than just retreading the same old ground, because there's only so many um, air duct cliches that you can put into a film, really. Hmm. Um, yeah, they do manage to fit one in this one. That plane, you know
1: how to flag someone down.
2: Yeah, that was to be honest, that was a bit of a pardon, <laughs> pardon a bit of a damp spot in the film for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a bit shit, really, wasn't it? The whole surfing on the truck and then going at the water spout and stuff was a bit. It was a and, bit naff, really. And yeah. I don't know. It's
1: terrible now. It really looks terrible. It does, actually. yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but to be honest, I mean, that, was, that was another ejector seat moment, really, wasn't it? It was kind yeah. of stuck in there as a, a bit of an action sequence. And, oh,
0: my uh, wife mentioned, actually, that uh, the, the ejector seat bit in Die Hard 2. Surely he wouldn't have anywhere near amount, the right amount of time required for his chute to open and actually slow him down before he crash to earth. It's supposed to be you're supposed to be eject in the air, not on the ground, so
2: I think I think an ejector seat you you would it would open, it would slow you down, but I don't think you'd be able to get up and, and walk away as he did. I mean yeah, the yeah. pilot who have crashed on the ground and ejected and then walked away. But just going in ejector seat is gonna completely floor you. You're not gonna be able to yeah. you could be you know probably Lying down for a good few days. I mean, it compresses your spine by an inch, for fuck's sake. That's not something you can walk away from, really. Oh, another this thing, she, that's painful.
0: Another thing she mentioned is, is that it's he he gets injured in this one. He never really seems to get injured so much in two. It's he he escapes things a, a lot more in two. It's like he uh, dodges the plane and he dodges the other plane and then he he dodges the bullets and then he dodges he rolls out of the way of bullets. But he never really gets no- fucked up in two.
1: There's no broken glass moment.
0: Yeah, there's no moment of weakness. There isn't really that, that sense of, of real weakness in this one. I mean, the closest thing would be when they're tied up and he's ripping a piece of wire out of his own uh, shoulder with his teeth.
1: <laughs> Lovely. Well, <But actually, laughs> he never really gets that messed up in form. Oh, of course he doesn't. No, no, Oh, no. uh, Or he gets back up after of something that would have killed him. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry.
2: Save it for next Fine, week. for next week. <laughs> so I've got lots of little, little, tiny flashes of what I'm gonna put myself in for next weekend. Oh god! Matt's it's, just gonna turn up next week and go,
1: "What the fuck was that?" I that think Die Hard. It's, it's not
0: as bad as we're making out, but then I haven't seen it for a while, so maybe it'll be worse. <laughs> I mean, I saw it in the same uh, summer as I saw Transformers, and both of them, I came away going, oh, "It wasn't quite as much of a train wreck as I thought." I mean, I, I've seen Batman and Robin recently that is a film that makes you go I wish I was dead if yeah. I was dead I couldn't have seen that I would be dead and then I would have only void but what if I was a ghost forced to watch that film over and over again inside a theatre which I couldn't get out of and yeah you you have nightmares about being made to watch films that are that bad Die Hard 4 is just popcorn trash uh,
1: yeah even Die Hard uh, sorry not Die Hard uh, Batman and Robin is so bad George Clooney turned around and said he killed the role of Batman
0: yeah, he's being way too Hard on himself there. There's just so many things wrong with that fucking film.
1: He actually wasn't a bad Batman. It was just a shame about the rest.
0: He's of an even better. I mean, he was a he was a bad Batman, but he was a good Bruce Wayne. Yes. Except for the head bobbing. We'll talk about that when we when we get to the film. His
1: head like a fucking head knocker. He's a, he's a bobble. He's yeah. a bobblehead. Goofy, <laughs> it's
0: a bobblehead. I was counting. I was like, that's seventeen times that his head is bobbled <laughs> on top of his body. What is wrong with this guy? Okay, so. Let's wrap up Die Hard Three. I mean, we could talk at length about the action set pieces, but they're action set pieces. There's that brilliant bit when they're racing through the, the the you know the park on in the cab, and there's a sense of consequences in the in their actions, and a sense of space in New York where it's not just charging about the place for fun.
1: No, I mean, I mean, a great point of that is the the crash sequence of the subway car.
0: Yes, yeah, that was. Uh, and that was something that really was going to be unavoidable and that, that they um, you know that they were trying their absolute best to deal with But uh... and,
1: the, and the interesting thing about that is now I would assume that if they did that sequence nowadays hmm. they would have killed a few people you listen after that no one died in
0: that. Yeah, no, because of McLean's actions. It was in, originally intended by Simon to go off in the middle of the train, which would have caused a bloodbath. But obviously with uh, with John chucking it out the back, it blew up behind the train and propelled it forwards into the side. Uh, no one died because they said no one died. But in reality, I think someone would have got badly injured in that.
1: Someone thing. really got squashed. Yeah. It would have been McLean, because that's another of the really moments, when he pops out the top of it. And, you go, and he's fine. Really? Yeah. Really. <laughs> it's like the water spout moment, when he goes up the spout and you go... He he lands and he gets... (laughs) 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 That came the rain and washed McLean away. Uh,
2: There's great
0: (laughs) banter in this film as well. The back and forth. It's it's possibly better than all the other three films because because he's constantly got Zeus there to to argue with. There's there's none of that in in any of the others really. I mean, they attempt it in Die Hard 4, but I don't remember anything from it. And it's really quotable as well. I just found myself talking
2: along with it the whole time. Again, much well, like this that. one is this one's much more of a, a buddy movie mm. than I see the, the the first two were weren't at all because it was basically just John with mm. with other. You people
0: could say Al friends. was a buddy, but he was more of a connection in dialogue.
2: Yeah, but they weren't together, they weren't constant, and they never uh,
0: argued, sharing the experience.
2: Yeah. Whereas these two are very much more. It's almost you know going back to the eighties, Lethal Weapon style mm. buddy movie. It, it's got all the yeah, all the hallmarks of that, and mm. and it, it does work very well because again it changes. The, 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 the film from being just another run-of-the-mill sequel to being something, a good film, a standalone film in its own right.
4: Mm.
2: I've got one point um, just before we finish. Go for it. Simon's plan basically depended on John following all of his instructions Playing and ball, all the rest yeah. of it. What would have happened if Zeus hadn't saved MacLean? MacLean would have died in Harlem. mm mm-hmm.
0: Which I, would think have, I think there would have been a contingency plan and Simon <laughs> would have said, right, McLean is dead, so there's a, you're going to have to find one more officer to find this bomb. And then he would have sent the police to find the bomb for uh, the train, obviously blown the bomb up because he needed to, but then, and then broken the news about the whole, um, the 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 school thing and kept the police busy for the rest of the day. Ultimately, McLean could have died at any point in that. I'm fairly certain Simon would have still been able to do everything he needed to do. I mean, frankly, he could still have just blown up uh, the bomb anyway and they'd have gone, oh shit, it's that mad bomber and and because McLean's dead, we don't know what to do and the police would still have been running around chasing a shadow.
2: Yeah, but his justification for it was... You know, the, the alleged justification was the revenge
3: motive.
2: Mm. And it just, it, I don't know, it just always struck me as a bit odd that he... That he He'd have less... Of... Into Harlem yeah. with a, a sandwich board on that was going to get him killed. Yeah. There was no doubt about that. It just seems a bit of an odd way to start, really. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, work work to it, maybe.
1: <laughs> I think that bit was probably done because when the FBI guys up and say, it's actually Gruber. He mm. was the brother of Hans Gruber. This yeah. is why McLean was killed. It was revenge. And now he's just taking revenge on the city because he's a madman.
0: Yeah, I'm fairly certain that uh, Simon would have had. He he seems one step ahead, oh, smugly. So again, he's he never really seems to get angry. So he's a, he's less of a cre- a great villain than Hans. I am an exceptional thief, Mrs. McLean, and since I've just graduated to kidnapping, you should have more respect. He never seems to. You never see his human side. He's just smug and smirking and and always one step ahead. He's still way better than Colonel. Colonel, what's his name? That guy. Stuart. Stuart. Yeah, who was just smug and boring.
1: Um, We're not even going to mention Oliphant. Ugh. Who
0: was just boring and boring and
1: grumpy and boring. Which is is really stunning if you ever watch Justified. Yeah. We'll talk about that next
0: week.
2: Hitman bad? or? Oh, (laughs) him.
0: No, he's not as bad as he is in Hitman, but he's borderline. Jesus (laughs)
2: Jesus <laughs> mm. I might be busy next week <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, certainly with a lot of confidence here but uh, no I mean if you actually look at him the way that um, uh, Jeremy Irons plays his performance he's, he's watched Alan Rickman and he, he, do, he does have a few similar mannerisms and you can imagine them you sort of as brothers when they were kids being I'd imagine like young Niles and Fraser Crane yeah, only evil. Hans obsessed with his model making and stuff, and Peter all obsessed with make, with chemistry, getting on each other's tits.
1: I, I may not have liked my brother, but that's a difference when it comes to some Irish flatfoot chucking your brother off of a yeah. <laughs> building.
2: You know, your brother was an asshole.
0: He was. He was an asshole. You've got his number. Yeah. He's good. I'm, my daughter um, watched the very beginning of this while we were having lunch, and she went, <gasps>
1: Scar! <laughs> 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 Jeremy Irons is going to be forever known as Scar, isn't he? Hmm.
0: Well, is it? The most people will have... It's the, the film most people would have seen him in. True. Shouldn't... Surely isn't Dead Ringers.
1: Life's just not fair. You see, I... I shall never be king. And you shall never see the light of another day.
0: Adieu. <laughs> oh, that was today? Oh, I feel simply
2: awful.
0: <laughs> I shall practice my curtsy. <laughs> <laughs> And then there's that, you're so weird. You have no idea.
3: <laughs>
0: have you seen a David Cronenberg movie named Dead Ringers?
3: It's a little bit closer. Who's the man supposed to give you that good time feeling on vibes? that shows a mountain count.
0: Finally, the ending was not the first one shot, and was actually the third one planned. The original planned ending that was never shot involved the bad guys on the plane opening the suitcase bomb, as in the one that uh, Zeus gives to those security guards, and Simon asking if anyone has a four-gallon jug.
1: <laughs>
0: that, that would be a bit of an anti-climax, because people want a big explosion.
1: And why were they opening the suitcase, Bob? Once you look at it and go, hang on, didn't I leave that in, in a park somewhere? I, I
0: don't think Simon would have done that. I think someone else would have opened it and gone, oh, I don't know. They'd have figured it out some way. I mean, for fuck's sake, there's always a way to get someone to do something dumb in a movie. <laughs> 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 uh,
1: pay them enough money.
0: There's a bit in American Pie 3, The Wedding, where Stifler eats some dog shit. Oh, don't remind me of it's that. It's awful. And it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Um, I mean, that's obviously the south side of the saint. But yeah, the, the, the amount of um, information we're given that is an excuse enough for Stifler to eat the shit doesn't add up. He's trying to get a wedding ring back, and then some woman comes over and goes, oh, is that a chocolate treat? Can I have it? And rather than going, oh, there's something in it, and chucking it away, he eats it. And it's like, yeah, No. I, I don't buy that I don't think Stifler would do that it's just you know he got he got weed on in the second one and he drank he drank jizz in the first <laughs> one they're just going through all the bodily waste and, uh, and making sure that can you call that? jizz waste <laughs> and just making sure that Stifler ingests or is covered in them
1: it's just uh, that is one of the biggest problems with the American Pie movie mm. there is no mind to it Yeah, and there's no brain and that is a big shame first
0: yeah. one was quite good
1: but uh, I just prefer the second one but yeah uh,
0: Well, the third one's terrible. We can at least agree on that one.
1: Yeah. The
0: second ending, the alternative ending, involves a dejected, disgraced McLean tracking Simon down months after the events in New York and forcing him at gunpoint to play a game of McLean Says, Russian roulette with a rocket launcher. This showed a sadistic side to John that few were comfortable with, so it was scrapped in favour of a much better showdown between McLean on the ground with two bullets and Simon in a helicopter with an M60. Which is much more of a Die Hard 1 ending. But you can tell when you watch it that it was a a different ending to the one they'd planned. I don't know why. There's these little hallmarks like they've come back to this several months after they finished filming, haven't they? It feels like it. It's a movie of three halves.
1: (laughs) But after you sent me the link to the um, alternate ending, I'm glad they changed it.
0: Oh, hell yeah. It's terrible. If you watch it on YouTube, just go Die Hard uh, with a Vengeance, alternative ending, or Die Hard 3, alternative ending. He meets him in a bar, and he's all smug, and he's sort of wearing a long coat, and he doesn't look like McClane at all. He gives him a Chinese rocket launcher and says, you've got to shoot, you've got to press the trigger, and it'll either hit you or me. It's just nonsensical. But apparently that was going to be the actual end of Simon Says, I think... They, I'm glad they changed that. I'm really glad they changed that.
2: Yeah, it's not, not a diehard ending. Yeah, I can see what they're trying to do. I mean, they're trying to try to illustrate the fact that that Simon had basically ruined McLean's life yeah. entirely, and McLean was was beyond Off the deep end. Yeah, absolutely, and he'd basically just given up because he'd been been felt he'd been betrayed by the by the NYPD and the FBI and so forth. Mm. He no longer felt loyal to to that way of life, but it would have been a fairly ham-fisted way of doing it. Yeah. But this, it doesn't help that it's clearly not finished off because it's the like, you know, it's, it's not been, the, the post-production's not been done on here. it. Looks it's just a bit, itself. pretty ropey. So that doesn't help. But yeah, it was fairly ham-fisted. It was just rushed as well. It just seemed to happen mm. far too quickly with no real. It feels well, like a oh, different. Oh, John. Oh, there's a missile through your chest. No. Right, and there we go. <laughs> it feels like a
0: different movie. That sort of thing would happen in Sin City, but not Die Hard, you know?
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah.
0: But in the end, John wins with careful application of his two bullets, says his catchphrase, "You big a motherfucker, and we end on a hopeful note as he calls Holly. Considering the follow-up 12 years later, it should have ended there, but more on that next week.
1: Unfortunately. Mm. Neil,
0: do you want to, I mean, everybody knows about Game Burst, but do you want to pimp it one more time?
1: <laughs> I'll pimp it one more time, because in March I'll have something new to pimp, so don't okay. worry. Uh, You can find me at gameburst.co.uk where we review the weekly gaming news on a Sunday for 30 minutes and we bring you a roundtable or a retro replay or even a quiz on the Thursday.
0: Now, as you may have gathered, uh, Neil and I have seen Die Hard 4 and uh, Matt has not. So he is going to be coming to that film fresh, watching it this weekend, and then we'll be doing the show the following day. So uh, he will be giving brand new reactions to Die Hard 4, whereas we'll be sitting on two, three years of resentment.
1: <laughs> He's so looking forward to it.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Above and beyond. <laughs> Indeed. Well done. Thank you very much, Matt. And thank you <laughs> for your continued uh, sacrifice for this show. It's it's You're very welcome on here.
4: Gotta watch that drinking during the day. bear for your health. Would well, you care to join me? No. I quit. You're looking remarkably alive, John. <laughs> 50, how is Cobb, how are my friends in the NYPD Well, I was fired from the NYPD Cobb's trying to save my pension Oh, I'm sorry to hear that Yeah, Yeah, the feds thought I had something to do with the robbery They even made me take a lie detector test (laughs) Oh, yes, now that is funny Yeah, I thought it was hilarious Come on, John, just enjoy life's little ironies how is your black friend, um... Zeus? Yeah, Zeus. He's good. He's good. His kids made the honor roll. Oh, that's very good. Yeah. You have children, don't you, John? Two. As soon as I'm done here, I'm going to go spend Christmas with you. And what is the point of your visit to our little backwards country? How's your girlfriend? The, the short blonde hair? See you Let's just say... Conversation was a trifle limited. <laughs> you fucked everybody, didn't you? Yeah. Me, the feds, your terrorist friends, your girlfriend. The bad motherfucker. You got away with it. Oh, yes. Tell all these people to get out of here. Right now. Sincerely. the So, do you have a headache? You know, I, I saved you a couple. I traced the batch number to a German pharmaceutical company who shipped that bottle to a little pharmacy right down the street. I'm a cop, remember? So you see, Simon, you must learn to enjoy life's little ironies. I brought you a present. Present? Christmas present. I'm sure, you've seen these before. It's a Chinese rocket launcher. I'm gonna play a little game. Remember your game, Simon Says? Well, now we're going to play McLean Says. Here's how the game works. I ask you some questions. As long as you answer them, you don't have to pull the trigger. But you've removed the directional arrows in the sights. How do we know which way it will fire? That's what makes a game so exciting. Here we go. McLean Says, a plane crashes on the Texas-Oklahoma border. Where do they bury the survivors? You don't bury the living. Very good. You can turn that whenever you want. McLean says a cowboy rides 18 hours into town and 18 hours back, all on Sunday. How does he do that? The horse is called Sunday. Very good. McLean says three years ago I busted two robbery suspects. The youngest was the father of the other one's son. How the fuck does that work? Your husband and wife? Very good. I'm practicing. Here comes the bonus round. good guy and a bad guy are sitting in a bar. bad guy brings a bottle of brandy. good guy brings a bomb. Only problem is the bad guy neglects to bring something to co-save his life. What does he forget? What does he forget, Simon? He forget, Simon. The antidote to the brandy? Oh, I'm sorry. That is the wrong fucking answer. Game over. Push the trigger. Press the trigger, Simon. Make up your mind and press the trigger, Simon. You sure. Oh, yes. Yeah. Forgot his flag jacket. That's what he forgot. Get
3: the guy. Motherfucker.
0: The main theme for Die Hard with a Vengeance is... No, I forgot. Shit. Sure. It's called When Johnny Comes Marching Home. Oh, uh, yes. It's an Irish song made famous in America by Patrick Sarsfield Gilmore, aka Lewis Lambert, in 1863 during the American Civil War.
1: Never knew it was Irish. It's always I do associate when I hear that song with the sort of Civil War. I just yeah. didn't realise it was Irish.
0: Originally, it was, which kind of it's it's in keeping with uh, obviously McLean's Irish thing, since he is Irish. But uh, but yeah, so that's the music we're going to end on. We will see you next week for Die Hard Fall pointless. And then the week after that we'll be coming back and we will be talking zombies. Not, Woo-hoo! A, not a movie, but a book. The Zombie Survival Guide by Max Brooks and the follow-up World War Z the next week. So we will see you for a rubbish film next week and the week after, zombies and we're down he had business.
1: to business. He had to tell you folks, he had to give you some hope.
0: Yes. yes. But, uh, but also to prepare folks because I would strongly suggest that you guys uh, read that book not you guys uh, I, know, I know you have Neil but you're going to be our control guest Matt so you'll be the voice of the listener that we can quiz you on what you would do in each zombie situation cool bring a very practical head if anybody comes along and goes oh I'd bring a lightsaber to a zombie fight I just let <laughs> out you're dead you've been <laughs> eaten already <laughs> okay so this is Die Hard with a Vengeance we'll see you next week for Die Hard Four Less. I've been Alex Shaw.
1: I've been Neil Taylor.
0: And I've been Matt Ramsey. Happy trails. is live free or die hard 4.0 we're back with the last of four die hard movie reviews with me once again is neil taylor of Gameburst. hello neil hello and matthew ramsey better known on the dc forums as matt harrier hello again matt hi and this week we're turning our attention to the newest die hard film known in the usa as live free or die hard and internationally as die hard 4.0 The meaning of both is somewhat nebulous. Live free or die hard is the state motto of New Hampshire and has fuck all to do with die hard. 4.0 is a clumsy reference to internet-based terrorism and has fuck all to do with die hard. So before Neil and I, who have years of resentment stored up, get our fangs into this thing, we're going to go to Matt, who has only just seen it yesterday for the first time and find out what a new perspective will make of this movie. Matt, fire away
1: it's all right <laughs> <laughs> that 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 sound that sound just summed it all up
2: uh, I, I watched it on on saturday night with uh i went around my house i watched it with a few beers and um it was it was all right it was a pretty decent no-brainer action fleet really some some great yeah. stunt scenes and some good effects and just wasn't really very Die Hard, to be honest. It, I kind of felt it would have been better, having no references to Die Hard, instead of having Bruce Willis, having Dwayne the Rock Johnson or something, and just making it a proper summer blockbuster, mm. which would then justify... The I might have liked it stories. more if it happened, yeah. Well, I think it would have worked better, because they wouldn't have had to shoehorn in all the, the little Die Hard references that they, they had mm. to Which they did, in. yeah. Yeah, you know, it's just... I don't know, it just seemed like... They took a picked a script and went, oh that will do. We'll make that Die Hard for right. Let's yeah. just slap in some bits and bobs. We need a we need a family member in peril. We'll stick that in there, and we need a one liner. We'll chuck that in there, and oh, you know, I don't know. It just seemed a bit, uh, you know, oh we haven't got an elevator. Let's put an elevator in there somewhere and have a fight in it, and that can go in. Oh, we'll jam it in there, and then there we go. We'll release it as a film. It just seemed a bit bit choppy, really. It just could have done with being either more Die Hard or not at all. But you know, it, was, it was entertaining enough, but it wasn't really very Die Hard. Do you want to know what I think
1: the biggest crime of this movie is? Yeah, go for it. What is one of the greatest things about the first Die Hard movie? It's, uh, it's sh- tense, I'd say. Mm. Well, well, well the fact I, it's, yeah. I, I'll give you this. As we talked about when we talked about Die Hard 1, mm. it, it broke the mould of the traditional action movies to that point where your hero was invulnerable, never got mm. hurt. Got enough, you know, we see that John McClane pretty much gets mm. fucked up in the first movie. Yes.
3: Leading to a lot of
0: tension. <laughs> so in a roundabout way. Yes, yeah. then, uh, but you're right, absolutely. A, a very human uh, lead character, a hero who can get hurt. Maybe even killed, we don't know.
1: Well, that is where the, your tension comes in through the entire movie, because you know if he's caught, he's dead. Mm. We get to die hard 4 Point Less. And he's become the 80s action hero, because he gets kicked out a window, hitting cooling vents on the way down, and gets back up.
0: Yeah. It goes back to films before Die Hard that were daft, films that Die Hard broke the mould on.
1: So we've got him kicked out a window. But that's... That that would piss me off. But then it got worse. (laughs) The fucking plane...
0: Well, he's already surfed on a dump truck. Let's go oh, back, go Jesus. to a plane. Oh, no. well, it's important to note that he also did hang on, to, like, he was running around on top of a wing in Die Hard 2. So it's not a definitely unprecedented scenario
3: for John.
2: It, it's not that unprecedented. Was, <laughs> that was a wing of a slowly moving airliner. Which wasn't yeah, even off the 35. ground. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, we have so this bizarre.
1: Is that even a real plane or is it something they cooked up? It's a real plane.
0: It's a, it, was a, it was like a. a, a what's the word? An F-35. F-35, yeah. It's capable of vertical takeoff. It was in the. Like, it was just beyond prototype stage at that point. I think Starscream turns into one in Transformers at the oh, movie. Okay, okay. No, he turns into F-22. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yep. Sorry, just, just see, what just, does Megatron <laughs> turn into?
1: So, Cybertronian jet. Oh, okay. Saw <laughs> well, the biggest geek points, sorry. <laughs> well done.
0: <laughs> Certainly not to go on anyway.
1: We'll talk about it another time.
0: I just, no, we just, <laughs> no, we
1: won't. No, we won't. Well, we do. We just want to rant. But, look, <laughs> the, the thing is, I've always, why I like Dark Hard One so much is you feel for this character. He, You feel that he could die at any time. He does get hurt. He gets his feet cut to ribbons. Mm-hmm. We hit this one, and he's just, he, he is the dumb action hero. And that's what it is. It's a dumb action movie. Yeah. which is fine but Die Hard built itself on not being a mm. dumb action movie it's the thinking man's action movie
2: well exactly I mean you said you said earlier that, that uh, in, in the first film he was he was vulnerable you know he was getting shot and it was it was slowing him down it was affecting him all throughout the film which you know developed the character and sort of motivated what he did and why he did it as he went through and with this one he can you know surf on a jet and survive heat-seeking rockets mm. Uh, high explosive 25mm thousands of high explosive 25mm rounds from a fighter jet you can then jump onto the back of it stand on the engine and then jump off and then get up and walk away which is just fucking <laughs> ridiculous yeah. it's just a complete change from the previous one where he got completely fucked up by walking over broken glass
3: yeah
0: yeah it's the opposite uh, everyone always mentions that jet and the surfing on that as an as a example of what diehard didn't do before and now is suddenly doing. John McTiernan is gone, replaced by artless, talentless director of Underworld, Len Weisman. Michael Kamen is gone, in favour of Marco Beltrami, who, I don't know if you guys noticed, but delivers a score precisely one-eighth as powerful and urgent as the original. It's riffing on themes and giving the suggestion of tension, rather than an edge-of-the-seat thrill ride that tugs at the spinal cord. It kind of went...
1: Mm. this is how memorable the score is to me I don't care
0: yeah it's just sort of there uh, in the <laughs> background going hey stuff's going on I mean
1: yeah that, that is actually a really good description of the of the score for this movie uh, hey
0: stuff's going on I mean on. It's, it's not terrible the, the film itself is not terrible it's just so much kind of what uh, what Holly's Gone replaced by Lucy McLean played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead a sexy girl with not much to do Al is gone, replaced by Cliff Curtis's erstwhile plot narrator Bowman. The Grubers are gone, replaced by Timothy Oliphant as Gabriel. Oliphant is a skilled actor and can be very charismatic, but his ability here to walk, talk, and use the phone whilst asleep is
1: truly noteworthy. It's not just that he phones this performance. Yeah, it's just like I, blah 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 blah. <laughs> have you guys seen a, a series called Justified? No, no. What's it like? He plays the main character in that. It's almost... um, I want to say it's modern-day Western. He's a US Marshal. If you watch him in that, he is freaking fantastic. He is brilliant. He's really watchable. You're like... Wow, this guy, car- guy carries a show. You believe him? Hmm. In this, it's like oh, I'm just going to phone this one in. It's, it's just making the money. He's great in Deadwood as well, and he was great in Go.
0: I think the first time I saw him was in Go, and very shortly afterwards I saw him in Gone in 60 Seconds. And I was like, Oh, I like Timothy Olyphant. He'll be good. And actually, no, the first time I saw him was in Scream 2, and he was out of his tree at that point oh, as yes. well. Yes, he's in Scream 2. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so I saw him in Gone in 60 Seconds. And he's just sort of there. And I was like, oh, God, he's a guy who can just phone it in.
1: And it now, turns out really he was. This is really embarrassing for me. I actually like Gone in 60
2: Seconds. Oh, I don't, don't
0: remember him in it. He's like the... Isn't he? Is he in it? I don't yeah, know.
1: But
2: he but is he's in just, it, but he's barely in it. <laughs> he's a fairly pointless partner for and Lindo's character that doesn't need to be there. Yeah. And he's an attempt. Oh, yes. Now you've pointed that out, Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I quite like Gone in sixty seconds, mainly because of all the cool cars in it and various you know, chases and all the rest. And of horse-faced Nick Cage, <laughs> horse-faced Nick Cage. Um, but you yeah, know, the uh, Eleanor's probably my all-time favourite car, so I'm slightly biased. But yeah, he's very forgettable in, in, in that. He can't you could get rid of him entirely, and it wouldn't make right. a damn bit of difference the film.
0: But in this film, he's just sort of there. He gets a bit angry, but he seems like he's really uptight.
2: He's most similar
0: to to uh, Colonel. I always forget his name, don't I? Stuart. William Sadler, <laughs> Colonel Stewart, as William Sadler. Only, I don't know. Stewart seems to be a bit more in control. Uh, it's, it's it's weird. He he's definitely not funny at all. And um, you know, there's, Simon was funny and Hans was funny.
2: It is flashes blastly, of, there's it, flashes of, of humour at the end, tiny right little to, bits yeah. like he's getting bored. Little flashes, and you think yeah, if if it just worked a bit harder, maybe he could have been better, mm. good all through the film, but.
0: It's too But to put him sense. up against uh Alan Rickman <laughs> Jeremy Hines. Like, he's not even there. He he could be a, he could have been a henchman in the first one. He's more like Carl. Actually, yeah, he is more like Carl. He is Carl. I want blood.
1: <laughs> he's Carl if you Carl ran the show.
0: Yeah. That's what it would have been like in the first one, not a film. And Zeus, the first foil for McLean, really, is replaced with Justin Long's character of Matthew. A nerdy, timid, computer hacksaw with some dry delivery and not much else. I mean, he's cute, he's nice.
1: the, The only thing I can say about that character is thank God it was him and not Shire. Because you could easily imagine Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, Shia LaBeouf. I was racking my
0: brains for who I thought would be better, but uh, Topher Grace sprang to mind because the problem is that McLean bullies him. The whole way through the film, he keeps shoving him and telling him he's a dickhead. You know, shut up, kid, you with your stupid computer stuff and your theories. Uh, I was thinking maybe Topher Grace could give as good as he got, but he's such a clean-cut tool of the system, he could never play a hacker.
1: No one's springing to mind, yeah. so you could play him at the minute. Pop, I mean, perhaps, maybe if it had been someone... I can't believe I'm going to utter them. Uh, who's the guy from the social network? Oh, actually, yeah, Jesse Eisenberg would have been so good. That's because he can act.
0: Yeah, he of Zombieland and Roger Dodger. Yeah, he he would have been brilliant. I know he was busy filming The Dark Knight at the time, and luck, at that point, not dead, but Heath Ledger would have been fucking brilliant up against McLean. But no, it was it was just sort of this little wimpy mouse kid. The huge oversight is that rather than being with McLean all the way as it might first appear, you're actually with Matthew. Just trying to keep up with this cold, hard, emotionally distant professional. Matt knows what's going on and McLean knows what to do, and between the two of them they sort of muddle through it. Then the movie ends.
1: That yeah and it doesn't even end with a bang it ends with a whimper it does and <laughs> and second biggest crime in this movie oh
0: yeah it's coming
1: covering up the catchphrase with the gunshot
0: <laughs> didn't even work in in this country we'll get to that in a bit but the bbfc we're having none of it <laughs> it is so long and boring with so much going on and nothing much actually happening My main issue with 4.0 has always been that it barely has anything in common with the previous three, and what it does seems to be forced in or added at the last minute, as if they're retconning a brain-dead Bruce Willis action flick made for teenagers and change the name of the hero to John McClane in order to sell more tickets to an older audience. And that's the other thing that bothers me. So much of this is a series of boxes ticked to satisfy two key demographics, the kids and the parents. For the kids, they fill it with what they perceive young people are turned on by. Red Bull, hacking, computer slang, horrible music, comic book character references, video games, conspiracy theories and parkour. For adults, they're giving us an aged hero baffled by the world of technology and prone to slapping around the cocky kid who becomes his ward. He likes doing things the old-fashioned way, including his music, hence the token good tune in the shape of Fortunate Son by Creedence Clearwater Revival. Which, but it's so cold and clinical as it throws buzzwords and motifs up at you as though every member of the audience is in some sort of focus group and being shown flashcards with an accompaniment of... Do you like that? How about that? Our tests have shown that kids like Big Explosions, Mountain Dew, and Justin Bieber, while adults like John Wayne, Frank Sinatra, and Werther's Originals. Uh,
1: go. I, I, w- I want to go into Pet and Corner now. Bieber. <laughs> go.
0: Bieber. <Go. laughs> Justin Biber. Bieber. I'm so glad I don't know the correct spelling.
2: I'm so glad I don't know the correct spelling. I work on the radio, That's it's my only excuse. A... It's not a good enough excuse, I'm sorry. You're banished to the corner. You're like, yeah, is not Just, oh, just do make me watch Die Hard 4 again. You do, you must. <laughs> now, here's a good question.
1: Uh, Maggie Q's in this movie. Lovely. She's nice to look at, but has she ever done any decent bit of acting yet?
0: Not really. She's basically just the same in, in every movie I've ever seen her in, very serious, and that's about it. She's not Michelle Yeoh. No. I mean, she does. She, this is pretty much the same role as she plays in MI3. I mean, to her credit, she doesn't do 24 Eyes. Now, this is something I don't think I've mentioned before. 24 Eyes is when someone is villainous and show it with their eyes in 24 you can always tell when someone's got when someone's actually a villain and is actually going to turn around and kill someone you you know have previously cared about because they sort of get this shifty eye look on their face you're like oh my god he's evil Maggie Q doesn't do that she acts like a professional the whole way through this as though you know she's totally justified in what she's doing I think it it certainly wasn't Joss Whedon who said it first but to paraphrase him everybody thinks they're righteous there should be no such thing as a villain when you're writing something. No one should go, I am so incredibly evil.
1: And, you know, I just remember there's another thing this film did that pissed me off. But not particularly the film. It was the, uh, I'm going to put the air quotes here, actor that did it. Uh Because he was one of my heroes. Okay. Kevin Smith.
0: Smith. Yeah, apparently he sort
1: of helped with the script. That's worrying. Uh, Well, I don't know. It's, It's not very good his character makes no sense in that no apart from to be the comical hacker who still lives with his mother lives in his mother's basement
0: I mean it's like this sort of adults looking down their nose at kids and geeks specifically geeks geeks get a really fucking bum deal in this you know, it's they may as well just, it's like, wasn't there, I mean, geek, the, the film this most reminds me of is Transformers, which came out that same summer. It's got this kind of sort of, yeah, this is what hackers do. I think in, in Transformers, wasn't it the film where that nerdy kid from Road Trip goes, I'm going to need a, a steady supply of Hot Pockets or something like that. Yes, nerds, that's what they do. They play computers and eat Hot Pockets. I mean, uh, yes, a lot of us do. Some <laughs> of us podcast whilst eating Hot Pockets. I don't know. What's a Hot Pocket, anyway? Not that I care. It's like a toaster pastry. Like a a savoury Pop-Tart. Fine, okay. Somebody send us some Hot
1: Pockets. (laughs) (laughs) And Eggos. I want to taste them. Another thing is, right, so we we watch a lot of movies, I take it. I think so, yes. And I take it your brain's probably quite like mine. We go, oh, that's a special effect. Oh, that's CG. No matter how good it is, you can tell. Yep. How the fuck are these people fooled by a model... Congress building. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, my God, it's blowing up. you know what that bit reminded me of? Independence Day? <laughs> sort of. It's the scene from Independence Day used in Austin Powers. Yeah. Yes! Yes! And it's like, oh, my God, they blow up the white... House. Actually, that's just the
0: scene from Independence Day, but the real thing will be just like that.
3: <laughs> Good
1: point. That's what it made me think of. It's like... I can I can see the greatest latest movie and the all about the special effects, but because I'm into this that area of uh, in other in my life, I can see special effects really easily. No, no matter how good they are. I tend to see them. So how are these people fall?
0: It would have been more realistic if it had looked like grainy sort of um, news footage of it and there'd been people walking about beside and in front of the White House and the people had all gone, oh, shit, when it blew up. If it, if it looked like District 9, I would have gone, yeah, you're not fair, dudes. That looks like the sort of thing you'd expect. But it looks like a clean, perfectly staged uh, special effect for a movie. And it is. it <laughs> is. It's, it's, it's yet another example of how... Um, in this movie, they managed to get by you know with going oh, these guys are so evil without them actually doing anything that 's actually really all that evil. I mean they murder a lot of blue collar workers and they murder a lot of you know security guards and policemen but no in the ter- in the words of Mr. White, real people get killed, and so you because it 's a pg g thirteen you know it's, uh, no one 's re- nothing 's really at stake i 'll talk about that later, but uh, yeah there 's a-
2: the 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 Capitol building blown up i mean as far as I could tell, why didn't they actually I mean, do it? Sorry, why didn't they actually do it? Well, that would have been a much colder film. But <laughs> as far as I can tell, the only purpose it really serves is to reinforce the fact that the film is set in Washington, mm. because it clearly isn't in Washington. It's because there's nothing. There's no buildings that tall in Washington. Right. It, it, clearly, I've been to Washington. It looks nothing like it. It so starts in
0: Washington is, and then and then goes on to a lot of other different places where you know they go to the.
2: Indeed, but if you actually look at the building, anyone from Los Angeles would go, oh, it's. Los Angeles, because that's where, <laughs> that's where the city is, it is oh, yeah. Los Angeles, it just looks, Oh really? It was filmed in Los yeah. Angeles, It's still got over the place, but it's definitely not Washington, and oh, as right. far as, th- that must be the only reason they put it in, because it's a very pointless thing to do.
4: Yeah.
2: It doesn't really threaten anybody with anything, and it's just like, look shit, and, it just says, oh, yes, we are in Washington. Also, it Perhaps, discredits
0: you as well as as villains. People are like, oh, it didn't actually blow up. Well, mm. it's like you become the boy who cried wolf then. Like, ne- next you blow up the Washington Monument and the people go, yeah, yeah, yeah. T- call me when something actually blows up. And suddenly people are, are, are not as scared anymore. Brilliant. You've just hobbled yourself. <laughs> John is transformed in this movie. In the first three, he was always on the edge of his abilities, almost always either wisecracking down a phone, bickering with the local law enforcement, or staggering wide-eyed, battered and bloody through a dangerous enclosed area to get to his next exploding thing. He never really gets agitated in this. Willis just looks grim or smirky or even sleepy throughout the whole event, securing the knowledge that at the end he's getting a $40 million paycheck, no questions asked. They've done their research, made their calculations, they know what will appeal to the widest audiences, and they're releasing on Independence Day in the US. This thing can't fail. Commercially, it didn't. And even critically, it didn't get nearly the mauling it deserves from the perspective of what it's done to this film series. Everyone just passes it off as a gormless popcorn and explosions flick. When did that become acceptable for the Die Hard
1: Badge? Yeah, that's, that is a big crime. Die Hard, like I said, is a thinking man's action movie. This this is just every other action movie out there.
0: Just because Die Hard 2 rested on its laurels doesn't mean you need to... You, you could just relax and chuck out anything.
1: Well, what we have is a reverse Star Trek syndrome here where mm. the even numbers are the shit ones. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Good point. So Die Hard 5 is going to be awesome. <laughs>
1: yeah John Tina's coming back please yeah,
0: please I mean he's <laughs> he's done nothing since basic did anyone see basic no Samuel L Jackson and John Travolta wait wait wait. stay there I think <laughs> one of them gets killed and the whole thing is a, uh, a a court case to work out what actually happened that led to that person's death and it's sort of from different people's perspectives
1: it's, it's all right. It sounds interesting it
0: was it, it better than die hard four point last. many little winks and nods to the original Diehards 1, 2, or indeed 3, can you spot from Die Hard 4? Crowbarred in or not?
2: I
1: will let Matt take this one, because I don't have any springing to mind.
2: <laughs> there, was, there was a few, I mean... None memorable, though, right? Well, the, the only one that really stood out to me as, as being at all done anyway well was um, when... Um, Gabriel, I keep wanting to call him Gideon. When Gabriel says to the plane that on your tombstone it should say um, the "Wrong man in the wrong uh, in the wrong place at the wrong time," or something. Yeah, yeah. I'd forgotten that which, one. Yeah. Which goes back to the first film. I'm trying to, I'm getting confused. Uh, uh, I think he
0: does say, "You're a man at the wrong place at the wrong time." Awesome.
2: Yeah, and and that that sort of stuck out as as one thing, and the only one that sort of wasn't really shoehorned in. Um, And there was a few others, I mean... But, really, there's no vest, which would have been the simplest one, really, wouldn't
0: it? uh, He is wearing it underneath his long-sleeve tee, but...
1: It's not a long-sleeve tee, it's a bloody cardigan.
2: (laughs) It's a a bit of a jumper, isn't it,
0: really? (laughs) It it sort of looks like Drake's, only he doesn't go for the half-tuck. It's it's still not the vest, though. And, actually, I've I've got to ask about this. Do old men just look bad in a vest? Because, you know, when... You reach the age of fifty, as Bruce Willis clearly is. Um, do you just look terrible in a vest? I mean, even if you work out and get whipped, mm, mm, do you just have a ha- hairy back, grey <laughs> hairy back? Shave it, oh. or like get yourself sort of a slightly lightly salt and peppered chest and back wig, or some. <laughs> just they can do wonders with makeup. Seriously, Bruce, do some fucking push-ups. Something. Give us the best.
1: Now we know the reasons for the divorce with Demi Moore.
0: Yeah. Chill oh. Harry back. Get him away from me. <laughs> okay. Uh, winks and nods to Die Hard that I noticed. McLean on the walkie-talkie and phone. It, it bored him back to being able to be wisecracking and cocky on the phone, which obviously he does in three and a bit less in two, but, you know, a lot in one. Um Agent Johnson. He went, huh? Your name's Agent Johnson? Uh, oh, shit, I forgot about that. That's fine. Uh Bonnie Bedelia's driver's license. <laughs> Did you notice her picture in that? No. She's sort of like, it's a glamour photo for an actress. She's sort of like, it's a, it's a, it's a high-up shot going down on her and her big 80s hair, and she's sort of going, uh-huh, uh-huh. you can't put that on a driver's license, they won't let you. <laughs> it's got to be straight from the front with your eyes facing front, totally bloody serious. You can't put your fucking uh, headshots on a driver's license, but I, I like the fact that it was in there. It kind of tied it up with Holly. Lucy McLean, obviously, with uh, McLean residents, Lucy McLean speaking. They didn't have to put her in there, but, you know, at least they did. Uh, chap flung down the stairs, very much like, um, Tony, yes. Then there's, of course, YPKA motherfucker. (sighs) Which they don't quite have in there. As with Watchmen, I had a huge problem with Maggie Q's stupid stiletto heels. As with Watchmen, at the moment she gets flung down, she's wearing flats, so she won't twist her ankle, because high heels, and especially stilettos, may look glamorous and feminine, but they're impractical and offer almost no advantages. The only one they do offer is the possibility of spiking a fighting opponent, as long as you can balance yourself. This backfired when Maggie Q pierced the area above Bruce Willis' right eye, to the point where, in the words of Len Weisman... You could see bone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, my point is, and always will remain, yeah, they look great, but if you can't jump in them, don't have your character jump. It's that simple.
1: <laughs> yeah, at least have
0: it make sense. I mean, they're, they're, just wear boots, wear shoes, wear trainers, wear something you can jump in. Or, you know, just have her in stilettos, but kept only on a catwalk. Or you know, walking around New York City looking glamorous because that's really all stiletto heels are good for. Oh, and S and M. But uh,
1: <laughs> that, that, that was a true... point.
0: I mean, I'm not, but, hey? I'm not debating the fact that Maggie Q looks fantastic in them. But it's just, if you have to change them to flats, then they weren't the ones that the character was wearing. And okay, but in terms of appropriateness, by far the silliest line in this movie is. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, it's not sticking out to me. It's,
0: McLean exclaims angrily, when he's being bounced all over by the parkour enthusiast henchman, Damn hamster. <laughs> Clearly, writer Mark Bonbach has never owned a hamster. I've owned seven. Yes, they have stack style tunnels that they pop in and out of, but they're also fat, timid, not especially mobile, and entirely non-aggressive, unless to another male hamster. The phrase he was blushingly groping for was, Motherfucking monkey. Which leads <laughs> me to swearing. Okay, this is a little bit from Wikipedia about the PG-13 rating. In the United States, the first three Die Hard films were rated R by the MPAA. Live Free or Die Hard, (sighs) however, (laughs) sparked controversy because it was edited to obtain a PG-13 rating. Not shot, edited to obtain a PG-13 rating. In some cases, character dialogue was cut or muted in post-production to reduce profanity. Director Len Weisman, I just think Wheezy when I hear that, commented on the rating saying it was about three months into production and I hadn't even heard that it was a PG-13. But in the end, I was just trying to make the best Die Hard movie, not really thinking so much about what the rating would be. Bruce Willis was upset with the studio's decision, stating... I really wanted this one to live up to the promise of the first one, which I always thought was the only really good one. That's a studio decision that's becoming more and more common because they're trying to reach a broader audience. It seems almost a courageous move to give a picture an R rating these days, but we still make a pretty hardcore smash-mouth film. Willis said that he thought that viewers unaware that this was not an R-rated film would not suspect that watching it, due to the level and intensity of the action and the usage of some profanity although less than the previous films he also said that the film was the best of the four it's unbelievable I just saw it last week, I personally think it's better than the first one
1: Mm. hmm
0: obviously he's going to say that because he wants a lot of people to go and see his film he's not going to say, ah you don't want to see this shit Because he's got a percentage of the gross, for God's sake.
1: The thing is, it is pretty action-packed. Yeah, I'm not debating the action, which is definitely in there. It just makes me laugh that, you know, we can have all this pretty intense action, Mm. As long as no one says any naughty words. Yeah, as
0: long as you don't say, motherfucker. In the United Kingdom, the film was awarded a 15 rating, the same as Die Hard with a Vengeance. The first two films in the series received an 18 certificate in cinemas. On video, Die Hard 2 was a 15, because they cut it again. The film was released with no cuts made, and advice that it contains frequent action violence and one use of a strong language with reference to the line, yippee ki Motherfucker. Which, although obscured by gunfire, the BBTFC claimed was clearly audible, therefore contributing towards issuing a 15th certificate. So like I said, they were taking none of this shit. They were going, no, he's saying motherfucker. <laughs> We're not letting, well, we're not making this a 12A, effectively, because it's inappropriate. While it may not seem that important, or even may seem more appealing, the removal of the word fuck from Die Hard is like the removal of the costume from Batman. Without that key factor to let you know that you're in a rough adult, if not mature, situation, McLean is relegated to a grumpy old man with the following repertoire of insults and expletives. Asshole, jack-off, jackass, jackhole, and dickhead. Oh, and the sudden racist, misogynist and uncomfortable outburst of dead Asian hooker bitch, referring to the now sadly deceased character of Mai. That wouldn't have seemed so bad in a world where McLean was able to cut loose, but the exclusion of angry language makes it more suited to Clint Eastwood's character in Gran Torino. Swearing is not big or clever, but not swearing at a time when it's wholly appropriate is a painful reminder of the harmless candy land that a PG-13 represents. Nobody nice is going to get very hurt in this film, and all the baddies will be punished. Once again, they hit the magic PG-13 certificate in order to snare the largest share of the many demographics they covet so jealously. PG turns away most adults, because apparently nothing interesting, dangerous, or provocative ever happens in them. Raiders of the Lost Ark. As a result, very few big live-action movies these days is ever released as a PG in America, specifically. If you look at a lot of PGs on your shelf, uh, like Men in Black and The Fifth Element, you check out what they were released as in America, PG-13. And kids can't get into R-rated movies, so that remains an unpopular option. Ideally, Hollywood would like only horror films like the Saw series, most popular with the older teens, to be R's. That way they can squeeze the most out of the summer blockbusters. Parents will take their kids, and that's four tickets, not two, right? Wrong. Die Hard 4 started with a budget of $110 million. It made $383 million. That's 330% gross. The R-rated Die Hard with a Vengeance cost $90 million back in 1995 and made $361 million, or 400%. A clear 70% higher than its contemporary PG-13 rated brother. Zombieland cost $23 million, made $102 million, 450%. It's an R. Kill Bill, 30 million, made 180 million, 600%. 300, 70 million, made 456 million, 650%. District 9 cost 30 million and made 210 million dollars, 700%. The Matrix, 63 million, made 463 million, 730%. All of them rated R. All of these figures dwarf the gross profit on Die Hard 4. All of them made by adults for adults... This pussy compartmentalizing of people and satisfying all aims, throwing out some homogenous glob that by virtue of its MPAA rating will take the most money is like the prevalence of 3D. Just yet another bitter misconception that Hollywood are attempting to force us to swallow under the guise of fact. Die Hard 4 should have been rated R for coarse language and strong bloody violence. It would have made more money than it did.
1: Tell you what if they do do five and that is the scary thing that is on the wikipedia article it just yep. says next five yep. nice can, can i nominate a director go for this, it because this director proved that you can have a, 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 a is it not i think it was an r rate a movie that's full of action and intelligence ladies and gentlemen please welcome to die hard five christopher, Nolan. christopher. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i i he's like
0: the go-to guy whenever we're thinking oh wouldn't he be good but yeah, I mean, the, the one I thought of would actually be Michael Mann. What was the last one he did? Was it Miami? Public Enemies, which is also a bit oh, disappointing. I haven't seen that one yet. He's, uh, but then Collateral <laughs> is fucking brilliant. And Heat is fucking brilliant.
1: Heat is one of the best... It's just awesome.
0: Well, it, it's, it's the, both of those are thrillers. They have action in them, but they're thrillers. And if you bring Die Hard back to being a thriller, and you make it... Th- very serious, but also kind of... I mean, Michael Mann doesn't really do humour that well, so maybe it would be less funny. But then again, I mean, you're dealing with an old Maclean. Make that the focus of it.
1: Well, yeah, they... they it's get getting for- too old for the shit. <laughs> he Literally. <laughs> Hang on, I've heard that line before. It's a movie.
0: Actually, speaking of Die Hard's 5 and 6, on May the 5th, 2010, it was announced that X-Men Origins Wolverine, terrible... And the A-Team, quite good, writer Skip Woods, was in negotiations to script the fifth Die Hard movie. Bruce Willis will again return as John McClane, and Willis said that he would like to see Weisman return, and would also like to see the story take place outside of the United States with a tentative title of Die Hard 24-7. Hmm...
5: But you don't, do
0: you? You you can't possibly die hard 24-7. That's total war. (laughs) On October 5th, 2010, Willis announced during an MTV interview that a first draft of the script was finished and that the shooting should begin in 2011. Regarding a possible Die Hard 6, Bruce Willis told Showbiz Spy, For me, I want to do Die Hard 5 and then one final Die Hard movie, Die Hard 6, before finally hanging up the white vest for good. Our advice... Rated R for language and violence, please.
1: And not Wiesman.
0: Yeah, lock Len Wiesman in a vault for a decade with only the works of Michael Mann for company. Bring back McTiernan, or indeed Christopher Nolan, but I think he's got a whole bunch of other projects. I think it. he's busy. Yeah. Uh, keep McLean agitated. Work out and wear the damn vest. If you've gone bald, get a wig.
1: Dye it grey. <laughs> he looks like Homer Simpson in this one. You're absolutely right. I told you, that scene where he's kicked out the window, hits the vents. Just you may
2: the as well go to the <laughs> I was expecting I... dough. And Do unfortunately, you won't be able to bring back Michael Kamen because like, he's dead. Oh, fuck. Like Died in 2003. <laughs> Which so is stupid. why he didn't come back for four, obviously. I'm so sorry, Michael,
0: and, and all of his family, if you're li- out there. That's sad. I'm sorry to hear that. Don't bring back Michael, Marco Beltrami, though. He did a bloody awful job.
1: There's plenty of really good score, you know, um, music composers out there that, you know, would fare better. I would
0: say either John Murphy, who did the music for Sunshine and does a lot of uh, Danny Boyle's films, or John Powell, who did the Bourne trilogy.
1: I'm not going to argue with John Murphy. It's The one thing I cannot slate um, any Danny Boyle movie for is the score. Yeah.
0: Uh, have weapons and ammunition be a constant considered factor. It's that we're breaking away from that now. In the first Die Hard, he had to ration out his bullets. And he had to be very careful with his shots. And in this, I wasn't even sure what gun he had. Apparently, it was a Sig Hour. And a car. Get a charismatic actor for the villain and let him act. Bring back Bonnie Bedelia. I know she may look rough, but it worked for Indiana Jones 4. No comment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, uh, I sense the ghost of James behind me.
0: And have more at stake than Die Hard 4. And can we
1: have a more contained space as well?
0: It, it doesn't have to be, but it would make it a lot less expensive if you could bring it back to being contained, make it much more like the first, bring down the budget, make it you know, a fight for John McClane's life, and something very, very personal. Because this is what I want to close on. What the hell was really going on? What was being threatened? In Die Hard, Gruber was going to blow the hostages up, including Holly McLean, and disappear with the money. In Die Hard 2, Stewart was going to blow the hostages up, including Holly McLean, and disappear with the general. In Die Hard with a Vengeance, Gruber was going to blow up some scrap metal and disappear with the money, crippling America's Federal Reserve. That one was a bit less scary, although the consequences would be more far-reaching. Holly wasn't in danger at this point. In 4, Gabriel seems to be trying to show America what would happen if their system went down by taking the system down. Then he wants to download the bank details of every American onto his hard drive and either use it as his personal piggy bank or, and this is said in hushed, fearful tones, bring everyone down to zero. This would mean that the rich would lose their stocks and bonds and savings, but the poor would see their debts relieved. A disaster for the top 1% and a life-changing act of mercy for everybody else. This maniac must be stopped before our frankly broken system is forced into re-evaluation. Fortunately, McLean shoots him and the day is saved. Only a bunch of blue collar workers and security staff and nerds get blown up and nobody said the F word.
1: This is a movie by a committee and god I hate it.
0: Seriously it is. I mean, I don't hate it. I just resent it. Yeah. It's just a bit crap, you know. It's it's, it's eh eh. Going uh, through this all, I mean it's it's serviceable enough. As you said
2: doesn't, if doesn't it the right word. If it had,
0: had the rock in it and if the script had been a bit sparkier,
1: I have one suggestion. And for if
0: it'd been obvious and clear what the villain was trying to do, because that it just didn't seem like, are you guys scared yet? Is everybody freaking out? Yeah, I thought so. Which doesn't, does, it doesn't seem to be all that like much of a crisis. The Return of Bruno is a debut album by actor Bruce Willis, released by Motown in 1987. This album is an eclectic gathering of R&B music sung by Willis, with backing musicians including Booker T. Jones, Ruth Pointer, and The Temptations. So I just wanted to make sure I included this one little uh, piece in here. Uh, It's Secret Agent Man, James Bond is back, uh, as sung by Bruce Willis in 1987, just before he did Die Hard. just sort of ends that's it I mean we'd normally talk about the end of a film but it just sort of ends he shoots Gabriel I mean Gabriel holds him and and like holds his gun to his McLean's shoulder which is not a kill shot he's like you know if you don't play ball I'm gonna shoot you in the shoulder like point blank he's like "Uh," you know why would he do that he'd hold it to his fucking temple that's what he'd do
1: it's just the fact he's a bit of a crappy
2: bad guy yeah
0: he just it's like a real oversight um, well, yeah. wasn't
2: he wasn't he t- grinding the, the the barrel of the the pistol into a wound in his shoulder or something which was was he I think that was the point I can't remember how he got injured but I'm sure it was something to do with that really but yeah it was, it, you wouldn't you'd just hold it to his head yes you would because because it's where you hold a gun
0: because McLean's a very dangerous <laughs> man <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be like I might shoot you in the shoulder watch out this guy would
2: snap your neck he should have been crippled after jumping off a plane and Um, being shot by fucking the most sophisticated fighting jet in the world and so then
0: Uh, Lucy seems to show an interest in Matthew who we've kind of forgotten about at this point because they they seem to not know quite what to do with him after after they leave Kevin Smith's place he's like I'm going with you and it's like why (laughs) just so you could be a hostage and be asked to enter this code that he actually serves no purpose after this in the movie I think he takes a bullet for um, Lucy, and that's all. Should have killed him. I, f- I think it might have made an interesting, poignant ending, actually.
1: It would made yeah. <laughs> it would have been at some point of interest to the ending.
2: But
0: no, Lucy just goes, did you ask anything about me? Oh, no, no, you not seeing my daughter. Ooh. It's like the parent thing. And then you go, it cuts to the best part of the movie, which is Fortunate Son by Credence Clearwater Revival, of which they have a little argument about earlier, because um, Matthew doesn't like good music. And not much of a muchness film.
1: Oh, well. The zombies next
0: time. Zombies next time. Yeah, next week we are talking about zombies, and it's going to be deadly serious. None of that lightsaber versus zombie, Iron Man suit versus zombie type Plants bullshit.
1: Plants zombies.
0: That's a good game. Oh, by the way, this week, uh, Plants versus zombies, 800 points. Buy it. It's brilliant.
1: Yes, after I've already bought it.
0: Yes, after I've already bought yeah. it. A couple of weeks Bastards. ago. Bastards. <laughs> okay, so we will see you next week. We're talking about the Zombie Survival Guide by Max Brooks. The week after, we're doing World War Z. Bring your nerves of steel and a very serious, practical attitude. Or your lobo. Or your lobo. Which is a sharpened shovel that almost bears more of a resemblance to a double-headed battle
5: axe. It's Die Hard 4.0, and that title tells you that it's computer literate. Hey guys, you know what? The 21st century computers are really it. I'm sort of thinking, Hackers came out in 1995, so that film. means at least 12 years too late on the "aren't computer's hip and down with the kids thing. But the plot is, this time, the whole of the East City was being brought down by c- cyber terrorists who have hacked into the mainframe. Oh, I have to say, the fastest connected internet provider I have ever seen in my life. I mean, I go into mine, and it's like, eh, eh you, you haven't got connected on in New Forest, look. have you? No, well, we haven't got broadband, but even on, you know, I mean, I hear that broadband is very fast, but it's nothing like as fast as this it. An email from my Mike Garvey, who says just seen Die Hard 4.0, after careful consideration, I'd have to say it is without doubt the stupidest, most moronic film in the history of cinema. In fact, I'll include all future films in that statement. I can't conceive anyone could ever top this film for sheer silliness. Some films have come close, the Apple Mac compatible alien spaceship in Independence space, Day, but nothing can top <laughs> Die Hard 4, which just piles on one insanely impossible scene on top of another, until it achieves a sort of dumbness nirvana. The main problem with it is, is that the dumbness isn't original. So uh, Nearly all the stunts you've seen before so you know there's the bit that's in the trailer of Capitol building getting blown up which kind of looks like the white house getting blown up in independence day there's the bit when they shut down a whole city by messing with the traffic lights which is kind of from the italian job there's a, a, also a key scene in which there's a helicopter right and bruce willis drives a car and the car goes up a ramp and the car hits the helicopter everyone's saying this is the great big you know money shot fantastic f- wonderful stunt well there's a movie in the 1990s called stone cold with brian bosworth who was an american footballer a lunk-headed american footballer with sort of you know short hair and a, a sort of horrible cat flat thing at the back and he drove a motorbike out of a window at a helicopter in a Craig Baxley movie back in the 1990s so that's not original all the lines is stuff you've heard before we get Bruce says things like this time he's saving his daughter rather than his wife because they kind of figure probably you know Bonnie Bedalia it's not eye candy enough let's get somebody young that way it'll kind of work out and he does the thing about I have repeatedly asked you to call me dad which is a line from Armageddon you will remember then we get all the usual stuff that when things go bang very loud he does oh that's going to wake up the neighbor. and it's like watching sort of hits on 45 of action genre movie cliches. The other thing with it is, I mean, it's not its not without a certain passing interest, because I quite like Bruce Willis, and he does look good running round in various states of disarray. However, the promotional item for Die Hard 4.0, which in America, incidentally, is called Live Free or Die Hard, but they kind of figured that over here in Europe, we would think that sounded far too sort of post-Iraq flag-waving, he never, in the film, actually gets to just wear the vest. But there is a promotional vest, which I've got, which says Die Hard hard 4.0 but he keeps his single on because you know what he's a bit old so it's you know die hard but wrap up nice and warm because you know get your cardy on Bruce die hard
0: <laughs> die hard do we have to you're not thinking but, fourth dimension
1: you're right I have a real problem with that lately great Scott this is heavy <laughs> <laughs> so much needs to count how many other movies die hard, <laughs> die
2: hard.
1: <laughs> right you Must we're we... gonna play <laughs>
0: <laughs> jaws 3d for the hell of it no jaws 14 in
1: 3d <laughs> okay you're going to hear a song now called by a band called guys night it's called die hard and it's uh, it's it's a song about the first three die hard movies and it appears on as a dvd extra on die hard 4 and it's probably one of the best things on there because it is so comical it's a loud, boisterous, rocky song about die-hard movies with an absolutely brilliant, catchy chorus and that chorus is "You ki Motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> If you haven't got this song, it's on iTunes it's 79p and it's one of the best 79ps you'll ever spend See you next week, I've been Alex Shaw.
2: I've been Neil Taylor and I've been Matt Ramsey Happy Trials. Remember
3: when we first met John Our guy picked him up from the plane and took him down the Nakatomi Tower to meet with Holly. He came to get her back and to be her man, but Hans and his buddies fucked up the plan. And that's about when everything went sour at the Christmas party. And the terrorists were overzealous, but it was sweet when they killed Ellis.